Welcome to Ew, That's Creepy podcast. Today, the twins will be discussing criminals who previously played in the NFL, starting with Eric Naposki. Eric was a former New England Patriot who became entangled in a web of lies, sex, and greed that resulted in the death of millionaire Bill McLaughlin. Please be aware that this episode will discuss assault, violence, and a graphic crime scene. Listener discretion is advised. (laughs) What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of You That's Creepy. And today, Jackie and I have a new theme for you guys. Yes, we do. We are back with the crimes and it's football season. Yep. And so Jackie had a great idea. And as the Super Bowl is approaching, we wanted to talk about some crime stories that involved former NFL players or NFL players at the time of the crime. So there were more than I thought, to be honest. There were so many. I found my story by looking off like a freaking wikipedia list that was entirely for nfl players who had committed crimes Jeez, i know i was like damn okay but it's funny because when i found this one like the name sounded familiar and it had to have been because this case was covered on dateline on 2020 48 hours american greed wow and i swear it was also covered on snapped but i couldn't confirm that come through snapped so I'm sure you guys can assume that because of all of those shows and everything, there is a lot of drama. So let's just get straight into it. So the player in this story, <laughs> making a sports pun already, <laughs> is Eric Naposki. And a lot of this information, I did watch some of the shows, but the shows are not so much from Eric's point of view. So a lot of the information that I got is from a really great Sports Illustrated article. And what I learned is that Sports Illustrated has an entire um, link on their page for crimes. Wow. So we're definitely going to go through this because at the bottom of the article it there was a link and it was yeah like um more sport crimes and stuff check out our page for more crimes similar to this i was like oh yes yeah so if you guys like this theme i will go back on the sports illustrated and look through thank you sports illustrated so that's where i'm getting a lot of information about eric and about kind of his upbringing so eric naposki was born on December 20th, 1996, in the Tuckahoe, New York area. He had a pretty normal upbringing. Um, There wasn't any stress or really problems in his childhood or his life. The one thing that did cause him stress that um, he mentioned, that Eric mentioned to the Sports Illustrated interview, was that he didn't know his father. I'm not sure if his father passed away or just didn't claim him but Eric never had a relationship with his father but when he was eight Eric started to play football and he really loved football on another level you know when you're young people play um 
pop Murray and play all that, play all that little football. But Eric actually loved it. And he played as a linebacker. So he loved tackling people. He wasn't afraid of really anything. And, you know, playing as a linebacker and playing football at this young age really helped Eric to develop his self-confidence and have a lot of friends and have a great childhood. Good for him. So he also seemed to have, you know, a great time in high school. He did go to a couple different high schools. He went to Tuckahoe, Roosevelt, and East Chester High School. He led the teams in sacks and tackles when he was at all three. And in 1982, Eric was named All-County. And in 1983, he was named All-State. So he was basically one of the best linebackers in the county and in the state. Yeah, he's killing it. Mm Mm-hmm. By the time Eric was ready to graduate high school, he had received scholarship offers. He had a couple partial offers, but he took a full scholarship to the University of Connecticut, UConn. Any UConn listeners out there? (laughs) Do you know him? (laughs) Just kidding. Asking for a friend. Mm -hmm. So Eric, he did go to UConn. He played as a linebacker for three years. When he was uh, in his third year, his long-term girlfriend, who he had been with since high school, became pregnant and gave birth to their first son. But that same year, there was a little bit of drama for Eric because during the football season, he had gotten a shoulder injury. And so he couldn't play in the game after his coach didn't want him to play. And Eric was so mad that he didn't get to play in this one game that he actually quit. Oh, wow. And that is actually brought back up later in the episode. Kind of just an instance where people were like, does Eric maybe have some anger issues going on? Because you basically worked your entire life to get a full ride to UConn and then you just quit because yeah, a junior year because you didn't get to play one game or so. When you were injured. Yeah. So that was kind of just the first time that Eric really had a little bit of a problem in his life. And at that point, he dropped out of school completely. And he worked for a bit at a UConn summer camp. But then he decided that he wanted to try and play football professionally. So over a year after Eric was cut from the team at UConn or quit, whichever way, He decided to try out with an NFL agent. And now this next part of the story, even the Sports Illustrated person is saying, the author of the article is saying that this next bit all comes from Eric's own point of view. And Eric does tend to kind of exaggerate things a little bit. So Eric claims that he went to this NFL agent's tryout and he ran a 40-yard dash in 4.5 seconds. And when the article is from 2018, and they're saying in 2018, if someone ran a 40-yard dash in 4.5 seconds, they would be the third fastest linebacker in the NFL. Wow. And Eric is claiming this happened in 1987. So believe that if you will. I'm taking that with a grain of salt because I'm just thinking, if you ran that in a tryout, wouldn't they like snag you immediately? Yeah, I agree. Eric claims that after he went to that initial tryout, he went back for a larger NFL tryout, but his name, I guess, was not listed on the roster, so he apparently snuck into the tryout by crawling through a hole in the fence and stole a number from the registration table. 
That's commitment. Yep. The NFL agent in question, who Eric says he ran the dash in front of and held this tryout, uh, could not be reached to confirm Eric's account Hmm. of all of that. Okay. But just take that as you will. It really doesn't matter because what did happen is that in 1988, Eric Naposky signed a two-year contract with the New England Patriots for an agreed salary of 55000 Wow, the Pats. Yeah. Impressive. Which, like, 55000 in 1988 is a lot of money. That's still a lot of money, I feel like. Yeah. Three months later, the Patriots made their final cuts to the teams, and Eric was not one of them. So he officially was a New England Patriot. However, the NFL didn't deliver the stardom that Eric really expected, and he actually only played in three NFL games that that year. Yeah, Darn. Before he knew it, Eric was bouncing around from different NFL camps without being offered any spots. Uh, He played on some special teams. After his failed NFL stint, Eric decided then to move down to the World League of American Football, which is like, it's still, you know, you're playing professional football, but you're not doing it in America, where it's the nation's most popular sport. But the World League of American Football seemed to be where Eric found a home within a team. He joined the Barcelona Dragons and played for a bit in Spain. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And he did really well with the Dragons. He had a lot of sacks, and he even returned an interception that led to a game-winning touchdown. Yeah, and that did come from the Sports Illustrated article, guys. You know, I don't I don't know a lot about football. <laughs> That's exciting. But yeah, so... And it's actually cute, because he was doing so well with the Barcelona Dragons that the natives had a little fan club for him that they named La Peña Naposky. Oh, that's so cute. And yeah, people did say, for sure, that people, when he would walk from where he lived to practice, people would, you know, come up and stop him and ask him for autographs, and they would chant his name during the games and stuff, so... That seemed to be a real highlight in Eric's life, and people there did really love him. That's so it's good. Yeah, it's kind of cute. Like, you know, this young man from Yonkers, New York, is over in Spain, and people are loving him. And, yeah. You know, he's like six foot, some six foot two, 200 pounds. So I'm sure for them, they, were, they just loved him. And the only negative thing, though, about this league was that the pay was somewhere between, I think, 20000 and 40000 so definitely not the 55 he was getting with the NFL, but he's playing more and he likes it. So wins and losses. Sadly, though, just when things were going really well with the Barcelona Dragons, Eric suffered a few injuries in 1991. And by 1992, he had quit the Dragons and returned home. So Eric, he leaves the Barcelona Dragons. He comes back to the United States and moves to Irving, California. At this point, he had divorced his high school sweetheart after having two children and rented out a studio apartment in California. So during the day, Eric started an exercise program, and at night, he would work as a bodyguard at some local nightclubs. While working at the nightclub, Eric met a woman named Nanette Johnson. And this is where, you know, of course, the story really starts. So... 
It always starts when he meets a girl. Of course it does. And I read that he met Nanette at a nightclub, but I also read that he met her at a local gym. So whichever, he meets this 26-year-old soccer mom. She had two kids. She was beautiful. She had a great body. She was tan and blonde and had a large chest. So she was definitely a looker for Eric. And she was often seen wearing tight, you know, sexy clothes. She had expensive jewelry, so she really did catch Eric's eye, you know, when he would see her out at the nightclub and stuff. Not only was she beautiful, but she looked like she was successful. Wow, good for her. So they start to become friends, and, you know, Eric is, like, really feeling Nanette. But there is a downside to Nanette, And that is that she is currently in a relationship with a 52-year-old millionaire named Bill McLaughlin. Now, Bill was a great person. He made millions with a partner by the two of them invented a medical device which separates plasma from blood and is still being used today. That's impressive as hell. Yeah, so they were the first ever to develop this type of device, and it made them both millions. As it should. So Bill, like I said, he was 52, and he met Nanette, well, he was 52 when he met her, by, he answered a personal ad she placed for a young woman seeking a wealthy man. (laughs) And when Bill met Nanette, he had just gotten out of a 30-year marriage, And so he really, you know, he had children, but they were adults. So he got out of this marriage and kind of was just alone and wanted someone to be with him and just wanted a fun person to keep him company. He wanted to play for a bit. Exactly. So Nanette, what I found out though on the American Greed show is that she was actually living with another wealthy businessman when she placed that ad in the penny saver and that businessman, I'm pretty sure saw the ad that she placed. And so he broke up with her. Wow. But luckily for Nanette, Bill was the person who responded to the ad, this medical millionaire. So he meets Nanette and he, you know, he's just totally smitten with her. She's young. She's beautiful. Nanette tells Bill that she had a PhD and she formerly owned a business. So even though she was young, she was painting this picture of being a real entrepreneur and this professional boss bitch woman. But there are some people, you know, some people who were close to Bill who were skeptical. How could a 26-year-old beautiful woman have a PhD and have formerly owned a business and be successful? just kind of didn't add up but Bill was so taken with Nanette that he moved her very quickly into his million dollar home in California in a nice gated community and two of the guest bedrooms in the home were converted into bedrooms for Nanette's two children from a previous marriage that's like living the dream yeah Bill's daughters they did not care for Nanette unsurprisingly And they actually politely told their father that they thought Nanette was only using him for his money. She's a gold digger. Sadly, though, Bill did not believe this, and he really loved Nanette. 
1993, Bill McLaughlin informed his accountant that he was planning to propose to Nanette and wanted to include her on his life insurance policy. Hmm. Which would pay out at least $1 million to Nanette if anything were to happen to Bill. Okay. It doesn't seem like the best idea. So, 1993, that same year that Bill is planning to spend forever with Nanette, Nanette meets Eric, and they lock eyes, and they just have an instant attraction towards one another. Very physical, very hot. (laughs) Primal. (laughs) (laughs) They always say that on those shows. (laughs) Honestly, it was primal, bitch. So... Nanette and Eric, they meet, and they initially become friends, and when she met Eric, like I said, she was living in Bill's luxury Newport Beach, California home, and, which pisses me off, but, so in late 1993, Nanette and Eric start to go out to clubs together, have some winter nights out on the town, they're still just friends, however, Nanette invites Eric to go to Washington, D.C. with her for a New Year's Eve party. Which I'm like, okay, I need information. You're living in California, but you're going to Washington, D.C. for a New Year's Eve party? Yeah, that seems like a lot of travel. Yeah. So Eric and Nanette, they go to the party, and after they actually sleep together for the first time, and they both, I mean... Eric didn't think it was wrong because Eric thought that Nanette was single and that she was just living with her business partner, but both of them described the sex as being incredibly intense and, you know, almost addictive. So after New Year's Eve, they have sex for the first time and they return to California and they start dating and... For Nanette, it's this secret affair. And for Eric, it's, you know, him dating this, what he thinks is a wealthy businesswoman. In an article with ABC News in 2021, Nanette admitted that she told Eric that Bill was just her business partner rather than her lover. And that it was partially true because she was working for Bill doing his finances. Uh, But she also told Bill the same thing, that Eric was just a friend and someone she was working with. Mm. So Miss Nanette is definitely playing both sides. She is being, you know, kind of a wife type with Bill and then going out and having kinky sex with Eric whenever she wanted. So, you know, it, it, meh. And to be honest, Bill, he is in his 50s. He's in his mid 50s, but he is not unattractive or you know, not someone that is deserving of this. I think he was a handsome older man and it's not like he is like 70 and doesn't want to go out and do things. And it's just like, you knew what you were getting into. You knew who you were dating. Yeah. You knew who he was. You placed the ad. Yeah. Come on now. Honestly too, Bill McLaughlin, his college pictures that they showed on American Greed, he was so handsome. I was like, sweet. Nanette also admitted in later interviews that she loved Bill as a person, but was not romantically in love with him. Like, why even then get why him are you then? with Nanette? him? Yeah. For the money. Of course. So, Nanette and Eric keep up this secret affair through the year. It's going into 1994. Um, Nanette is also keeping up her relationship with Bill going on their third year of dating and getting continuously more serious with one another. 
she's also getting more serious with Eric. So a friend and neighbor of Eric Naposky eventually asks him about this beautiful, wealthy woman who's coming over all the time. She's interviewed on some shows and she also is in a, the court trial later. So the neighbor said that Eric told her at first that Nanette was just a friend but then he said that she was a girlfriend, but things were tough right now because they were working on moving in together because Nanette was still currently living with her business partner. And the neighbor on the American Greed show said that she literally couldn't believe Eric was that gullible that he thought this young, beautiful woman was just living with her business partner. Yeah, come on now. And on top of it, Nanette is taking Eric on trips and all these vacations claiming that her business was doing so well that she could take them on trips. And she's using Bill's money to take Eric to Jamaica and on vacations. That's messed up. Yeah. So, it's kind of sad because it's obvious that both people on Bill's side and Eric's side had suspicions about Nanette, except for them. Like, they just believed her. Blinded by love. Honestly. And sex. <laughs> As Nanette and Eric become more serious in their relationship, um, Eric actually proposes to Nanette, and she accepts. Are you... Okay. Bill McLaughlin, on the other hand, his accountant is starting to become concerned when he's going through statements, bank statements that he is reviewing. So... As 1994 goes on, the accountant for Bill McLaughlin starts to notice that Nanette is continuing to spend more and more money on random things. And when the accountant digs into this, the amounts that she wrote down to Bill were not the amounts of the checks that were clearing at the bank. So Nanette was lying to Bill saying that she was just taking $1,000 and she would actually take five. Sus. Yes. So not only is Nanette lying, that's actually criminal. Like, she is straight up just stealing from Bill McLaughlin. And yeah, like, that's fraud, honey. She's forging his signature on these checks. Yikes. So all of this comes to a head in 1994. On December 15th, 1994... 55-year-old Bill McLaughlin sat at his kitchen table when an intruder entered his home and fired shots directly at Bill without a struggle or any warnings. Bill was shot six times, mostly through the chest and the abdomen. When Bill was shot, he fell really hard into the stove behind him, which actually split his head open and left a huge blood splatter going across the kitchen. Oh my god. So, and this next part is seriously so fucking sad. Like, I'm telling you, I cried. Bill's adult son found his father, and Bill's son had been in a really bad car accident the year prior, and so it left him disabled where he couldn't speak clearly. He slurred his words a bit and was kind of slow moving because he suffered brain damage. So Bill's son actually found his dad and he saw, you know, the huge blood splatter and everything. And he called 911, but the operator couldn't really understand what he was trying to say. 
and they play the recording a lot on the shows of him trying to like say my father has been shot and it's just really hard because he's really distraught but because of his disability it's also really hard for the operator to understand him so I cried like when I listened to I that. I was gonna say I'm sure I'm gonna cry but I hope they send somebody out. <laughs> Yeah, it was it, it was so heartbreaking. Did and they send someone? They did. Okay. And unfortunately, he Bill was already dead at the scene. Um, I'm not sure. The one thing I couldn't confirm was I'm not sure if Bill's son was home yeah. at the time. Because they said that in one report, it said that Bill's son was listening to music when he found Bill. So I don't know if that meant he was listening. To, he had headphones in and didn't hear it. Or if he just returned home and was, like, kind of just playing around for yeah, a bit. and music in. Yeah, so I'm not sure. But Bill McLaughlin, unfortunately, did pass away due to the gunshot wounds. You know, so first police, when they do their investigation, obviously, they look at Bill's adult son who had found him. But very quickly, like, immediately, one, he's rolled out because of his condition he was disabled because of the brain damage from the car accident. But just to be short, they gave Bill's son gunshot residue tests on his hands that all came back negative. So, sadly, the son just found his father and he had nothing to do with it. So, police question Nanette. They obviously know that she is Bill's long-term girlfriend And Nanette says that her story is on the night of Bill's murder, she had taken her kids to a soccer game that went into overtime. The game took so long that she dropped the kids off at their father's house because it was almost bedtime. I'm not sure if she dropped the kids off or if the dad just came there and picked them up. But either way, the soccer game went so late that she... The kids were at the father's house and Nanette decided after to go do some Christmas shopping because it was mid-December. And she had a receipt when the police investigated her for, I believe, around 9.15 p.m. So her alibi was solid because the receipt proved that she was in the store shopping when Bill was shot. So Nanette is ruled she is no longer a suspect. It just seems kind of odd if it's so late you have to drop your kids off, but then you're going to go shopping afterwards. Yeah, Christmas shopping at like 9 at night. I yeah. thought that was weird too. But okay. Police didn't have any concrete suspects. They thought maybe it was a robbery because Bill was a millionaire. Um, But the one thing that they realized it couldn't have been a robbery was when the forensic investigators came to do, you know, a more thorough look at the crime scene, they found a key on the ground that was the key to the apartment complex. So they meant that, or I'm sorry, the complex, because it was a gated community, not apartment complex. It had, the person had a key to the gated community. So, if they had a key to the community, they also had a key to get into Bill's house. So, whoever did this was someone close to him who either took Bill's keys, had a copy of his keys. And then that. (laughs) That's all. It's her. No doubt. In my mind. Somehow. Some way. Um, 
Bill's family came forward telling police that Bill wasn't even supposed to be in town that weekend. And whoever did this had to have known that there was a change in Bill's schedule. So now they're like, okay, this wasn't random. This wasn't a robbery or something like that. If Nanette is off the table, though, who else could have done this? Which brings us back to our little NFL star. Her boyfriend. Following Bill's death and the initial investigation, um, they did look into Eric Naposky. I think through them looking into Nanette, she was very... She didn't hide, really, her relationship with Eric. They went out and did shit all the time. They took a trip to Jamaica. So, eight days after Bill's murder is when police bring in Eric Naposky and decide to question him regarding what he knew about Nanette and where he was on the night of Bill's murder. And Eric, from interview one, does not paint himself in a great light. Firstly, you know, he's one of those people where he's just really standoffish with police, giving them attitude, has that... I think I'm smarter than you kind of vibe. Um, he tells police that he and Nanette are just really great friends. And they keep pushing him on that. Like, I think they already knew that he was dating her. And eventually he says, well, yeah, she is my fiance. What? So police are like, it's interview one and you already are lying about just who Nanette is in relation to you. Eric does have an alibi for the night of the murder, though. He claims that he was actually with Nanette at the children's soccer game. And Nanette dropped him off at his apartment where he changed for work before driving to the nightclub. He stopped on his way to work at a local Denny's to make to return a phone call. I guess his boss had paged him and he wanted to stop at Denny's. Okay. I'm like, but you're going to work. Aren't you just going to see your boss when you get there? Yeah, why why Denny's? I don't know. The main problem, though, with Eric's story was that he was starting to get caught in small lies repeatedly. And, for example, police asked him in his first interview if he owned a firearm, and he said no. 20 minutes later, detectives say something like, And you said you don't have any firearms, correct? And Eric replies, well, yeah, I did have one. But I gave that to my dad. And police were just like, why are you lying? Why did you say you didn't if you did and you gave it to your dad? Yeah, why are you acting sketch? So he says that he had a gun and he gave it to his dad and he gives them the make and model. And it's just weird. And then he tells them that uh, oh, he did have a second gun also, but he also gave that second gun to a friend. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. Sure. But Eric continued to say that he had an alibi and he couldn't have murdered Bill McLaughlin. But Bill was murdered around 9, 10 p.m. And Eric told police the time that he was at Denny's was around 8.50 p.m. So even though police were already thinking, even if that is your alibi, we're not so sure that you couldn't have stopped at Denny's and still committed the crime because they're 20 minutes apart. Yeah. But police, they didn't have anything concrete on Eric or Nanette, so they were not able to make any arrests at that time. 
But they do stir up some drama because they say to Eric, so did you know that Nanette was also engaged to Bill? And he says, she told you that? Oh, yes, she did. So detectives could tell just by their initial interviews with Eric that he really did not think she was in a relationship with Bill McLaughlin. So the first, you know, the interviews are going on, but after they interview Eric twice and Nanette a couple times, they still don't have anything concrete and the case just becomes cold. I'm not 100% sure why, but Eric and Nanette did break up within the next year after Bill's murder. Hmm. Interesting. I know. In 1997, Nanette was charged for fraud in relation to the thousands of dollars that she stole from Bill and that Bill's accountant could easily prove that she had stolen. Uh, She was forging Bill's signature on multiple checks. And she was sentenced to one year in jail. Yikes. Somehow in hell, Bill was, or I'm sorry, somehow in hell though, Nanette was still the beneficiary on Bill's life insurance and she received the full $1 million payout. Oh my God. And I'm not sure why, but some reason for some legal stuff that went on, Bill's children were actually forced to pay Nanette some money because of the... I I don't remember exactly what they said, but Bill's children then had to pay Nanette. Oh, that would make me so mad. So, yeah, after this, Nanette, she breaks up with Eric and she does her time in jail. And by 1998, she married another millionaire and has a child with him. Eventually, Nanette separates from that man and somehow finds another wealthy businessman and marries him. Wow, she is just a wealthy man magnet. Yeah. Eric, on the other hand, he decides to get back into football and stop working as a, at the nightclub and as a bouncer and all that. So Eric, he tries out for teams such as the Rams and a few other NFL teams before trying again for the World League of American Football. He was denied initially due to the investigation you know, people had heard of it, and Eric's coaches and teammates even started writing letters to the Orange County District Attorney at the time to oppose the slander of Eric Naposky and to just basically, like, stop slandering his name so that he can play football again. Hmm. And all of that fighting must have worked because in 1996, Eric is asked to play for the Barcelona Dragons once again. And he does play for them. He goes back to Spain. And in 1997, Eric, along with the Barcelona Dragons, won the World Bowl. Wow, that's crazy. And that was the game that Eric chose as his last game to play professional football. So his football career ends on this great note. And Eric returns home to the United States. He finishes his degree at UConn. He does some part-time coaching. He opens a gym and does uh, some personal trainer work. He meets a woman and he remarries her, having two more children. So basically, Eric and Nanette, after this murder, are just each off living their best lives like nothing happened. You know, they're not together, but both of them are just having the best old time. So 
15 years pass after Bill's murder. Wow, that's a cold case. Yeah, baby, it's cold. And as with many cold cases, it is looked back into when Orange County changes their district attorney. So the new district attorney is Matt Murphy. You would know this guy's face if you saw him. I already know who it is. Do you? Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that He's guy. Like somewhat attractive, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I know who he is. <laughs> I just said to Cam the other day, I was like, he is the next Joe Kenda with the amount of crimes he solved. Yeah, you're so right. Yeah, it's crazy. I know exactly who you're talking about, too. He was on American Greed. He was on, uh, like, on this episode. He was on, he's on 2020 all the time. Yeah, he is on 2020 all the time. They love him. So, um, Matt Murphy will have to do his best cases. Yes. Oh, my God. One day we should have him on this podcast. Girl. Matt Murphy, if you're listening, we love you. Call us. So, Matt Murphy, uh, he and his investigative team, they really decide to look back into Bill McLaughlin's case. I think because they just thought it seemed so clear who it could have been that they wanted to just look at the case again and see if fresh eyes would uncover anything new. So around 2008, they look back into the Bill McLaughlin murder case and they start to uncover a lot of incriminating information surrounding Nanette and Eric. Ooh, tell me. First... The couple were reportedly seen house hunting in the Long Beach, Orange County, Newport Beach areas of California in the months prior to Bill's death, where the homes are nothing short of a couple million. And the district attorney, you know, in the team, they're obviously thinking that in itself is suspicious because Bill, or Eric Naposky was a bodyguard at a nightclub at the time. Yeah, where are they getting that money from? And I don't even think the net worked. She worked for Bill. So they were thinking, you know, they're planning to have a good chunk of money. Where is that coming from? And there were realtors who the detectives could find that confirmed it was Nanette and Eric looking at million dollar houses. And they were serious. Secondly, a startup tech company had told the team that Nanette was a potential investigator in 1995. However, she said that she would need to wait until some time passed before she would have the proper funds. Oh, like why? <laughs> yep. Basically said, um, I need to wait until after Bill is murdered to have the funds for this. Yeah. So that was clearly what they thought she meant when she said, I need to wait. And then shortly after Bill is murdered. So they also discovered that Eric's alibi at the time was that he was working at the nightclub, which was true. However, I guess no one had confirmed in 1995 that the nightclub was literally in viewing distance of Bill's home. If Eric had been the shooter, he could have gotten the key to the complex from Nanette and the key to Bill's home from Nanette murdered Bill, and then ran from the crime scene to the nightclub in just a few short minutes. And the more the team digs, the more they uncover a trail leading straight to Eric as the killer and Nanette as the mastermind. And I think it was really the fact of realizing the proximity of the nightclub where Eric was working to Bill's home. Yeah, how would that have been obvious? I don't know. That irritates me. 
but um, Matt Murphy and his team were able to uncover 60 to 70 new incriminating pieces of information against Eric and Nanette. Holy crap. And finally, after 15 years, on opposite sides of the country, Eric and Nanette were both arrested. Brought back together, but not how they thought. Yep. Reunited. Yeah. In a bad way. So, Eric, he is tried first. And, you know, this whole case, no matter who is on the stand, Eric or Nanette, it all centers around their affair. And basically all centers around Nanette being a gold digger. And I'm sorry, no matter how you paint it, Nanette is a just textbook gold digger. Every man she was with, she was still looking for another man to be more wealthy or something like that. And, you know, the prosecution is just painting this picture of Nanette being a wealthy man. I'm sorry. (laughs) Of Nanette needing a wealthy man to take care of her. And do you know one thing that I thought was crazy is that the American Greed show, you know, they obviously want it to be all scandalous. But it is interesting that they point out that Eric was really attracted to Nanette's sexy body and everything. But Nanette, from the time she had met Bill up until meeting Eric, had actually been undergoing multiple surgeries and breast augmentations, which nothing against surgery do you. But the point I'm making is it's crazy because the things, some of the things that Eric loved about Nanette were literally things that Bill was purchasing for Nanette. Wow, that is crazy. The prosecution pointed out that Nanette had been using Bill's money to finance the trips and outings she was taking with Eric. And the most shocking example was on December 14th, the day before Bill was murdered, a $250,000 check was written out to Nanette and signed off, quote unquote, signed off and from Bill. That is a lot of coin. Forged. And in my opinion, neither Eric or Nanette, spoiler alert, ever admit to doing any of this. But they had to have been in on it because Nanette had never written a check in that amount before. So Yeah, just right before. 250k the day before the murder. Way too coincidental. You can't tell me that the two... Nanette and Eric were planning to do something with that 250k. Even if it wasn't Eric, that could have been money for a hitman. Also true. So, Bill's accountant on the stand said that he believed Nanette embezzled around half a million dollars from Bill. Insane. So, the prosecution is pointing out that, or painting this picture of Nanette being a classic gold digger. And at the same time, they're painting Eric Naposky as being kind of like this giant lunk of a failed athlete sort of man they're basically saying you know eric is big and large and strong and he met nanette when he was down on his luck and this quote-unquote disgraced athlete who had just you know fallen from the nfl and from spain and was now working these little jobs and he meets what he thinks is this wealthy woman And he was so gullible that he just took Nanette for what she was saying. And he fell right into this trap and was exactly what she needed him to be. 
About a week or so prior to Bill's death, Eric's neighbor, um, she testified and she said that Eric was growing increasingly angry with Nanette's business partner. And I guess he had told the neighbor that Nanette said that the business partner was making unwanted sexual advances towards her and coming into her room in the middle of the night. Oh my god, how could you ever believe that? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So Nanette is literally... (laughs) I'm like, come on. So Nanette is literally painting herself, like, almost being a battered woman and basically, like, now she's being abused by her business partner. Who she lives with. Yeah. And a million dollar home. Yeah. And, you know, Eric really just wants to be the knight in shining armor. And the neighbor is saying that when Eric is telling her this story, that she can see the testosterone just pumping through Eric. Like, he was just getting, like, jacked up thinking about the fact of Nanette even being put in this situation. So... The proof prosecution presented, you know, was the testimony of friends and neighbors of Eric Naposky who had conversations with him after Bill's death and before. So the same neighbor, she's just spilling so much tea. (laughs) The neighbor told detectives also on the stand that she had spoken to Eric about Bill's death and he was being really sketchy. First, he was saying, oh, no, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Then he said... But maybe I paid someone to do it. I could have paid someone else to do it. Then he said, well, maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. Maybe I had someone do it. Maybe I didn't. Oh, my God. The neighbor, she said during this conversation, she didn't even have to process it. She had zero doubts that Eric murdered Bill. And she called detectives in 1995 and told them this. And she said, hey, Eric literally told me that he basically was involved with Bill's death or he knew of Bill McLaughlin's death. And the neighbor said that Eric also said the gun used to kill him is the same model as my gun. Wow. Police told the neighbor that that information wouldn't be enough by itself to arrest Eric. But in the new trial in 2008, the prosecution is saying that that statement itself, the gun used to kill him is the same model as mine, was incriminating because when Eric made that statement, he didn't know what make or model of gun killed Bill McLaughlin. Yeah, that would have been enough. Exactly. So they were like, how would you have known that it was the same? And speaking to that, the prosecution said that this gun that Eric first he didn't have a gun then he had one gun that he gave to his dad then he had a gun that he gave to his dad but he also had a gun that he gave to a friend and you know prosecutors were like okay whatever we'll go find the friend then they find this friend that Eric said he gave the gun to and he says yeah uh he did give me a gun and they give him a model or he gives the gun to detectives and they're like, no, this is not the gun that Eric told us he gave. So they cross that off the list and they're just like, you're lying again and again and again. And if you're innocent, why would you say that you gave a gun to your dad and then to a friend when neither of those were what you had said? So it's just like, There was so much circumstantial evidence the prosecution had, and the worst of it was Eric's own words. You know, lies that he had in recording recorded interviews with the police, 
all these different things that he had told the neighbor before and after Bill's murder were just too obvious that he knew inside information. And the craziest part, the prosecution proved that it took one minute to walk from Bill's home to Eric's nightclub. That's crazy. One minute. So he could have easily done this and just jogged over. And Eric had started working at the nightclub two weeks prior to the murder. There were over 60 different figures that the DA and his team found in their second investigation. There was literally the Sports Illustrated article had a bullet pointed list of things that the DA found. Different lies that they caught Eric in. People who came forward like realtors, witnesses who testified. They just uncovered so much more evidence. And the sad thing is, the one thing that they also confirmed was that Eric truly knew nothing about Bill McLaughlin and Nanette being engaged. That is, that's crazy. Because I really wonder if he would have still done it. Like, he, by all accounts, when he told friends, he genuinely believed Nanette was living with a business partner who was making sexual advances and she was an abused woman. Ugh. Lord. (laughs) So that was the prosecution and that was a lot. Of course, the defense for both Eric and Nanette basically blamed the other person. Nanette's lawyers claimed that she loved Bill and that all of the evidence presented was proving Eric's guilt rather than Nanette's. Which Eric's lawyers also said the same thing, that he, Eric, had no reason to murder Bill All of the reasons centered around Nanette. But the one thing was that, you know, Nanette was the one who had an airtight alibi. Eric did not. Yeah. Eric's defense tried to claim that his alibi was airtight. He had been dropped off at the Denny's. He made a phone call and he went to work and that there wouldn't have been enough time for him to kill Bill. They claimed that they would have had solid evidence to exclude Eric, but because 15 years had passed, they could not find the Denny's receipt, and they couldn't, I guess, find witnesses who could prove that Eric was there for the amount of time that he said he was there. I'm like, okay, but the prosecution found 60 different figures. Yeah, explain those away. So... The defense, the biggest thing that they say, which is 100% true, is that there is no DNA evidence at all. The weapon was never found. There's no video or phone evidence pointing directly towards Eric or Nanette. And so it kind of just is crazy that, you know, there's no DNA evidence towards Eric, not even a fingerprint on the key or anything that they found, but there's no DNA evidence towards anyone. In general. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. So, you know, kind of just pointing fingers back and forth. Was it Eric? Was it Nanette? Was it the two of them? Um, you know, this case was 100% circumstantial evidence for both of them. But at the end of their trials, the jury concluded that Eric Naposky was guilty of first degree murder. And he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Nanette was also found guilty and also sentenced to prison without the possibility of parole. Wow. That's surprised, though. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's just a lot. And so 
after the guilty verdict, that was in 2009, I believe was when they were found guilty. (laughs) I'm not even done. Eric once again changes his story. He reaches back out to Matt Murphy, the uh, Orange County District Attorney, and he claims that, you know, what he had said before was a lie. He did intentionally lie about his relationship with Nanette, and he did intentionally lie about the murder weapon, but he did all of this because he knew who the gunman was, and the gunman would have threatened, or I'm sorry, the gunman was threatening to murder Eric's entire family and himself if he came forward and told the truth. Oh my god, then who was it? He says it's this long convoluted story of he wanted to get into acting and he met this man who owned a production company and the man said at one point that he knew people who could beat someone up or who could hurt them and I guess at one point Nanette was going to get involved with like the screenplay and the script writing of this production company or be an investor. So she came and was in a, with Eric and the production guy and she started saying how much she didn't like Bill. And so then N- Nanette was interested in hiring this man as a hitman. And so Eric, leading up to the murder, noticed that his gun, his Beretta, had been taken from his truck and he knew that it had to have been Nanette and that she gave it to the gunman hired him and that he used Eric's weapon to kill Bill I don't believe any of that (laughs) and Eric's sister is interviewed on the American Green Show and she believes Eric and says that you know like this is real okay Eric Eric, he did give police the name of this person. And Matt Murphy and his detectives and the team, like, the police in this case are really doing a great job. Because even now, when Eric is in jail, they spent three months investigating this lead in this man and did a second small investigation back into this, thinking, could it have been a hitman? And what they determined was that 80% of what Eric had told them was 100% fabricated and not even true. So detectives go back to Eric and they confront him with their information. And he basically admits that a lot of the stuff was not true. I can't with Eric. But the Sports Illustrated writer who's going back and forth with Eric at the time that he wrote this, Eric is still saying in letters from jail that that is true in that it was this man from the production company that used his Beretta to kill Bill. And that's why it was actually his gun that was used. I'm just like, what? I okay. just do not believe that, like, at all. So currently, both Eric and Nanette still maintain their innocence. Nanette still to this day, she literally says like, well, it is partially my fault because if I didn't have an affair with Eric, he wouldn't have killed Bill. And so for that, like I am to blame. I mean, yeah, (laughs) I just can't not think that Nanette wasn't in on it when she wrote a 250k check the day before he was murdered and you were still stealing money from him too even if you weren't cheating on him you're taking his money yeah and spending it on somebody else yes that's so wrong yeah so and Eric claims 
No, no, it's kind of funny. Eric claims that his attorneys lost the Denny's receipt in the proof that of his alibi. So he says that his like his defense didn't do a great job, and that was the reason why he got convicted. Not it's like, dude, are you not forgetting that prosecutors proved even if you have a receipt at Denny's at eight fifty for the payphone. Yeah. You still had the time to drive like five minutes to Bill's house and kill him. Yeah, like the Denny's receipt doesn't just make you innocent. The Denny's receipt is irrelevant, dude. Like, but he is still holding on to it. Screw the Denny's receipt. I know. And Eric also said in his letters to Sports Illustrated that his job being next to Bill's home was just a coincidence and that him starting the job right before, I guess, was just a coincidence. So one thing that I will end on, because this is another thing, like definitely guys read the Sports Illustrated article, especially, you know, if you like football, because the article, a lot of it is actually like sprinkling comparisons of Eric Naposky to Aaron Hernandez and kind of sparking the question of does, you know, have not, they're not blaming concussions or anything like that for Eric Naposky being convicted of murdering Bill McLaughlin or anything like that. But Eric Naposky has him himself has said that he potentially thinks he has CTE, you know, the illness that they found with Aaron Hernandez regarding his concussions. But the thing is, and again, the Sports Illustrated writer is amazing. And he points out that even if that is the case, you have to admit guilt to say that a mental illness caused you to do something. And Eric yeah. isn't admitting that. So it's like... So what are you saying the CTE did? Exactly. Like, it just make it make sense, Eric. I guess he just basically is saying that he always did have a temper you know, Eric does admit he did always have a temper. And I think he believes that that is kind of the reason why he got convicted because the police thought he was a hothead and this and that. Um, but you know, that's just not the case in my opinion. So either way, Eric ends the multiple interviews with Sports Illustrated stating that he will never stop searching for ways to get him out of jail because he knows the truth and he knows that he did not kill Bill McLaughlin And that he says he doesn't understand, you know, Aaron Hernandez committing suicide because if you're innocent, there's still ways to get yourself out of prison. And so that is why he is going to continue his life in prison fighting for his innocence. And the only other note I will say is that not the Innocence Project, but like the Orange County, um, there is you know, people who do work for people who have claimed that they're innocent and they will take the entire case and review it. And if they think there's merit in it, they will work pro bono on that case. They have looked at Eric Naposky's case. Yes or no, Jackie? Did no. They? And they denied they are not going to look into Eric Naposky's case as one of their innocence cases. And I am not really surprised. So that, my friends is the career and crimes of Eric Naposky. Now, like I said, there are so many shows about this. A ton of shows 
really everything is based around Nanette being this like smoking hot gold digger who manipulates people. So that's why I really liked reading the Sports Illustrated article because it was like it'll take you 20 minutes but they went back and forth with Eric through letters and meeting him in person in prison. So they had a lot more information about his life which was helpful in this because I'm sorry, Nanette just pisses me off. You're taking advantage of Bill in so many different ways. I could go on a tangent about that, but I think it's clear how I feel about that. It's messed up that you were stealing money from him regardless, but it seems pretty clear to me that they both did it. And it's crazy thinking if he would think if if Eric would have gotten into the NFL in 1997 when he tried again, he literally would have been a murderer playing in the NFL. Yeah, that is true. Scary. Yeah. But I hope you guys liked this story and I hope you guys like the NFL theme. Yeah, let me know if you guys have heard of this. Um, you know, let me know your thoughts definitely about what you guys think about CTE affecting the brain and things like that. That could be a whole, like a whole conversation that I, I didn't even want to get into it because I think that means nothing in this case, but let me know, let us know what you guys think about that. Yeah. Give us your opinions as always come follow us on Instagram and let us know what you thought of this story. And we will see you guys next time on another NFL episode. Woo! Thanks for being here and thanks for listening to Ooh, That's Creepy. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Want to creep on us? Follow us on social media at Ooh, That's Creepy Podcast or send us an email at Ooh, That's Creepy Podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, creepy cats.